first live podcasting here. Um, why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Cesar Fernandez. Uh, from the Educated Guest Podcast. I'm a teacher of 20 years locally here, um, down in Chula Vista, Seward Union High School District, and I uh, just wanted to drop in and say what's up to the Chihuahua Podcast. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm gonna adjust it a little bit better so you can actually get your full face in. Oh man, they're, they're gonna see my, my work logo. You guys are gonna see that I'm playing hooky. <laughs> I'm playing, a little hooky from work. I'm having to flex my time today, everybody. I need to work late. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because this is our first time meeting in person. We just connected um, through the power of social media. Yeah. Um, and tell um, my listeners a little bit about what you're doing and your, uh, your job. So, uh, I was a math teacher for 20 years at both the middle school and the high school level. And then I just recently took a new job. I'm the district coordinator for all of the after-school programs. Um, we have 17 sites that, that have an after-school program, eight middle schools and nine high schools. And each of those sites has their own coordinator. Okay. And I work with that person. Okay, so you're yeah. overseeing all the different coordinators that are at the school. Right, right. And, you know, there's a lot of compliance that comes with after-school programs. Super boring shit, I know. But it's like kids got to show up and use the program in order for you to get the money from the, right. the state of the feds. So, so a, how do you do that and get these kids to be a part of these programs? Well, I mean, first of all, you, you, should, you should build a program around the students, right? There should be some kind of questionnaire or polling of the students as to what their interests are. Mm-hmm. Um, second off, there does have to be an academic piece and an enrichment piece. You can't just have, like, all the super fun, interesting STEM stuff. There does have to be, a, like, a tutoring component or something academic that you offer the students at your school. Um, so, I'm sorry, what was the question? About <laughs> <laughs> engagement. Do you want this coffee here? We're both trying to fill up. I don't know what she said, but we're over here at Puerto Vida and Logan. So this is how we get in our Four to ten clubs, 
then they'll put it to the rest of the students to see what they're really interested in and, and, and go from there. Right. It's, about, it's almost like when I do community work, it's giving what the community is asking for. That's right. right. And so you're finding out what these kids really want and their needs and then catering to them. Uh, and then you say you're from San Diego. I am. What are your names? Yep. I am from just San Diego, nice people call it City Heights, uh, right there across the street from Wilson Junior High. Um, and then I also taught for seven years at a newer middle school over there called Monroe Park Middle School. That's where I got my start in education, way back in 1999. Woo! I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm from San Diego, um, and I moved to Chula Vista in 2008. I met my wife there, and she was like, she was like, look, nobody ever leaves Chula Vista. We want to move. I want to move. And I go, wait a minute. I just got here. I just got here. I'm like, I like, I'm like, I like Chula Vista. This is a good place to raise kids. And so I've, I've been there ever since. I think that happens, though, wherever you live, especially in San Diego, you have these boxes, like, everywhere where you live. So I was raised in South Bay, but I went to high school in East County um, in San Carlos and Mesa. I went to Patrick Henry. Not at all. I just 
you know, I just, uh, I try to support them, I try to support their teachers, and I just want them, I just want them to have a good experience at school. Uh, I'm not looking for a teacher that's like super strict and has the kids always sitting in rows. I'm looking for the teacher that my, my kid enjoys going to their class. Whereas, what, whereas 
that's what I'm here in the United States. I'm just like, hey, you know what? There's a bunch of white people around here. I will take you home and beat you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you never, they, will, they will call the cops. So you've never had to go there and actually spank your kids? Nah, I mean... With my well, with my oldest kid early in the game, you know, when he was like four or five, I, I felt the need he to put testing right, you, you know, and, and it was my first child. I felt the need to put my hand on him. So, and that never just it's never worked out. It just made a, a sad kid, and so. Which <laughs> <laughs> is okay sometimes, but that's not. I don't think that's the way I want to do it. Is by putting my hand on him. So uh, I learned with the first one, and then I haven't put my hand on the second one. <laughs> That's awesome. My dad used to, I mean, I don't know if he knew what he was doing in a psychology kind of way, but he would even tell us that we'd get spanked and yeah. he'd have us put our hands on the wall, stick our butt out. And sometimes he would spank us and sometimes he would leave us there. And so he would walk by and we would tense up not knowing if we were going to get spanked or not. And sometimes it was like 20 minutes went by and he's like, okay, you're good. We're not going to get spanked. Like, just... The mindfuck. The mindfuck. I mean, my dad is notorious. Still is notorious for classic mindfuck, especially with his children, like three girls. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've heard of that one too, the, the whole torture thing. Um, I got so some, wrong. I got some friends that have been through that and then are visiting that upon their own children. And like I said, I, I you know, I got, I got no opinion on how people raise their, their children. <laughs> but damn. Um, how about kneeling on gravel? I've, I've heard no. of that one too. Like, get on your knees and it's in the gravel, so it's like super painful. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of borderline, right? Um, okay. The, the holding up of the books. Yeah, I've heard that. So, yeah. But yeah, so now I don't do any of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound like you need to. Sounds like your kids are pretty good. So. Ah, they're pretty good for the most part. They just, they just fight a lot. They're boys, and so they go at each other a lot. Uh, just yeah. real stupid shit. Just, you know. Girls do too, I'll tell you. Me and my sisters, we went at it like boys sometimes and definitely wrestled around and hit each other and lots of pushing against the wall. Yeah, <laughs> so. no, I got you. <laughs> But um, tell me about the podcast um, that you're involved in. So, uh, so I started the Educated Guest podcast about two and a half years ago. Um, you know, I just, I, I had heard a couple of podcasts that really interest me. And so the idea of just being in front of the mic and just talking just really appealed to me. And so my podcast centers around education and pedagogy, right? The art of teaching, the actual like delivery okay. of the content, who okay. you are in the classroom, how you build relationships with students. That's what my, my podcast centers around. Um, but then there's just also a hodgepodge of bullshit. Like, you know, we also talk about hip hop, sometimes we talk about sports, uh, very rarely sports, but sometimes. Uh, and so if we have a guest on it, we know this is the hip hop, we usually ask them what their top five MCs are, their top five producers. But, but again, it's all around education and pedagogy. And so uh, we've interviewed, you know, teachers that are there doing it in the trenches, teachers that they have a name out there, students really love their class. But we've also interviewed uh, some really high profile, like professors, like educational theorists that are, that are big names in the game. Um, city council members that are like pro-education or somehow have done something awesome for their communities so uh that's the podcast in a nutshell yeah two, nice. two yeah two and a half years in the making so I, I spent like probably 
I don't know, excluding the computer, I probably spent $1,500 to $2,000 on equipment. Most of it that I kind of didn't need, but I just had to go through that process. Of learning and of, stuff, of, too. Of, and of it keeps learning. changing, too, right? Like the things that are available and stuff and the different programs that you can use, the different editing programs that you can use. A bunch of stuff keeps changing with the more people start podcasting. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of settled on, on just using GarageBand and Audition for, for editing and shit. Um, so that, that's, that's really not going anywhere for me. Um, it was mainly like the equipment, the microphones, the mixers, the headphones. Just like I bought, I bought so much shit over the past couple of years, but I finally nailed it down and got my formula. And so that's when I saw you doing it on the phone. I was like, wait, you, know, wait a second. <laughs> I, you know what? I've done like live stuff over the phone just to catch like, you know, maybe I'm at a, maybe I'm at a protest or a rally and I just right. want to catch the noise. You know what I mean? Um, so that's why I was kind of thrown off a little bit, but you said you do, you do record through your computer yeah, with microphones record, typically. Yeah, got I it. do. Uh, my one-on-ones and this is something that I just wanted to try out new and, and just kind of have an open platform and stuff too for anybody who's in the community that wanted to stop by. Perfect example of you being able to come here today and, you know, meet someone in person that normally I probably wouldn't even because there's this whole world of social media where I feel like I have social media friends okay. where I don't even get to meet some of these people in person. Yeah. It's like we're constantly going back, supporting each other, posting each other's things, and then a year goes by and I finally get to meet them somewhere in person. I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> we know each other. Like, So there's this whole other world of like this you know, social setting and stuff. Um, I did, going back to what you do being in the education system, I wanted to ask you if you have experience, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the rates of suicidal conversation going on amongst young kids. Have you experienced anything with that? Um, no, not, not, not directly, not directly, because I, I don't, I only started doing like talking circles probably the last four to five years of my teaching career, right? And so those things typically don't come out in talking circles. They typically come out with a you know a student coming directly to you talking about that. Or if you're like saying English teacher like in life, you ask them to do like a daily journal, then those they don't come out in there, right? Um, and so. My experience around stuff like that uh, has typically been, um, you know, a, a student will come to me and say, hey, you know, so-and-so has been putting this stuff online, or so-and-so's been talking about about this with me, and I think you should know, and then we'll call that student in and we'll, we'll talk about it, you know. The thing is that that's... We're mandated reporters, so if you tell me that you're thinking of harming yourself, I have to, I, I have to make the phone call. And so, you know, you, you approach the student as, look, I care about you, I, I, I want the best for you, I want you to understand that I'm going to have to make this phone call, and it's because of, it's because I care about you that I'm doing it. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell him you and get you in trouble. Um, so you kind of have to approach it from that, that perspective that, you know, hey, I care about you. Is there, now for you, is there fine lines of what they say in triggering words, or is it just they mention something, doesn't matter if you believe that it's something serious or low key, you have to report no yeah. matter what, right? The, the latter. It's, it's the latter. There's no judgment call on my part. 
if you say that you want to harm yourself or somebody else, or if you say that you are, are being abused or harmed by somebody, I have to say something. There's, there's no judgment call. Yeah, no gray areas in that. No gray areas whatsoever. You will lose your job. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, just, it's serious shit. That man in reported stuff is no joke. Right. I am in a mentor program um, through Mala de San Diego. All right. Um, the Admininitas program. So I've been with the same um, mentee. We've been together three years. Um, what I've noticed um, being on the outside, not being in the education system, is that the words that they use are used so loosely. Um, almost like it's really popular to say certain words and verbiage and stuff that I don't think I found when I was younger. And so it kind of weirds me out sometimes because I feel like even my mentee will say something and she'll mix like a lonely feeling with suicidal feelings. You know, so there, there's this line where I had to take a step back too and say, okay, is she just saying this because that's the popular thing to say if you're lonely, like you're feeling alone that day, that it's okay to say the word suicide because in my day that wasn't okay to just throw out those those words. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, so but also in that I've been very honest with her. We have an amazing relationship um, where I've told her I I'm going to tell your parents. Um, 
So one is one child is too many, and, and we're still not doing enough. We still got to keep doing our work. Yeah. Getting deep this morning. We had some coffee. <laughs> you took me there. Yeah, I tend to do that. So <laughs> when you get to know me, you'll know. I tend to do that and kind of sway conversation that way to push the envelope a little bit in conversation. How long have you been involved with Mono? Um, it's been three years, going on four years. Um, I sit on the board of directors okay. there, um, and I chair marketing and PR. Check you out. Okay. Yeah, I've okay. I've taken a lot from Mono. Okay. Um, I've been truly educated with experiences through them. So I feel like if I'm going to take from them, that I have to give back. 100, yeah, absolutely. I want to gain more, <laughs> you know, so I need to give more in order to do that. So. Okay, okay. Yeah, I grew up in a, I grew up in a mana household. My mom, uh, my mom used to be national president at one time. Wow. In the 90s. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah, national president. Um, she's best friends with the mayor of Chula Vista, Mary Salas. Mary Salas. They always yeah. they, they always go to the to the I mean, to, to breakfast, right? Is it breakfast? They have uh, networking breakfasts once a quarter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they still. I wonder if I've met your mom. B, Fernandez, B. Fernandez. Beatrice Fernandez. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do know that name actually. Yeah, B. B is everywhere. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> everybody, Again, everybody knows my mom. Small yeah. world of connecting and stuff. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's really awesome. Yeah. Uh, I should sit down and talk to her. Absolutely, she'd love to be interviewed. Um, and she is she is chingona, so she's perfect for your podcast. I plug you, mom. I plug you. Yes, I will get her information and reach out to her and definitely have her on. Yeah. So, it's nice to get perspectives from people who were, you know, a part of the game so long ago and saw the beginnings of everything. Mm. You know, because, I mean, Mana, the chapter in San Diego was in the late 80s when they, you know, got started. So, it's nice to see that perspective of what they envisioned mm-hmm. and to see where it's at today. Mm-hmm. You know, it reaches a lot. And so, that's... That's awesome that you have that, you know, in your blood, that community, that service. That's why you're, you know, in the position that you're in. It's nice <laughs> to see that. See, we used to always, we used to always mess around and talk shit to each other because I was, I was in Mecha big time at the time, when she was in Mana big time, right? And so she'd always kind of, I don't want to say she'd make fun, but she just, you know, always called me like a radical, or, you know what I mean? And then I turned to her and I'd just be like, yeah, but you and all your Hispans, or, you know, you're, right, you're, right. you and your Lulac folks <laughs> and shit. Um, but it is, it is a history of acti- activism in our right. household, right? No matter what, there's yeah. that history there. And so, so yeah, no, it's a big part of who we are. Yeah, which is awesome too because it's, I feel like um, my views politically and where I stand in the community and stuff is very on the cusp too. Uh, I have was raised with a very radical father, and then I was raised with a mother who wasn't at all, and he was married in state. So I have those two worlds. So I feel honored that I can bring all these different things to my life. So for me, because I get, you know, I get a lot of shit too. Okay. You know, how okay. can you go out there and do all these things and be involved in protest communities and yeah. be hanging out with certain people, right. and then you sit on the board of Mata de San Diego? Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. I love what I represent yeah. for an organization. Right. Like, you know, and I hope more people get involved with more things like that because I was very timid before being involved in Mata. I didn't think I would fit there. I didn't think that I would find a home there. Uh-huh. And 
so it worked out for me. <laughs> but again, I can see both worlds in it too. follow any other, or do you listen to any other podcasts that, that deal with, like, badass women? Like, do you listen to any? Yes. There's yeah. a couple, um, I've been connecting with local podcasters yeah. a lot lately and yeah. stuff. Um, I was just on someone else's podcast, um, a Hyundai podcast. Okay. Um, they are two, um, young individuals. Um, it was exciting for me to hear perspectives of a younger generation. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't think that I was that much older than them, but to me, I feel like there's, if there's a 10-year gap in between us, then I feel a whole lot older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, so it was nice to get these new and fresh perspectives um, on things that are going on right now that I'm not so used to and I'm learning. You know, we talked a lot about, you know, transgender and pronouns, and that's all new to me, you yeah, know, so I'm, included. yeah, and so I'm learning, you know, and stuff too, um, my sisters live in Oregon, um, both of them, and they were, they were laughing because they said, like, these issues, they've been dealing with a lot, openly, a lot longer in Oregon than we are here, okay. so a lot of this stuff is new, and I'm telling them, like, oh, this is new to me, and they're like, we've been dealing with this for six, seven, eight years now, like, what do you mean, this is new, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of stuff like that too. Um, have you experienced anything like that with, with the kids? Or? No, I mean absolutely. It's been a learning process because uh, their idea, their idea of inclusion is so much broader than ours was, right? And yes. so absolutely, um, you know, we have a, a fairly new equity department in our district, and they've done some awesome trainings uh, around inclusion, around LGBTQ. Plus, right. So everything's always changing, and, and so it is really the kids that help that help keep you current. You know what I mean? So yeah, <laughs> I learned a lot. <laughs> Definitely. Which is, I never thought that I was such an old school person until I start talking to younger kids, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot that I don't know that's um, going on, and different issues that they deal with. You know, than I dealt with when I was a kid. And then I think about, too, like, how many people were experiencing all these things at my age who mm. just didn't say anything and open up about it, too. I mean, there must have been so many people that were living in such a dark place at a young age. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. didn't, like, have the opportunities like this to expose those things. Mm. You know? So it is a it is a great thing to see, you know, but I still, I know that I have a whole lot to learn. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, there's just so much information out there uh, surrounding orientation and gender and such. Um, you know, I tend to think that society is more inclusive right now, but but that's just my perspective from a straight male, and it probably isn't, right? I tend to think, oh, maybe it's easier to come out nowadays, but you know what? Maybe there's more support out there, but as far as an individual coming out, uh, it's probably just as tough as it ever was. I don't know. Anyway, just throwing some thoughts out there. But back to my question about, like, podcasts of, like, badass women. There's another one that I listen to that's local. It's called Flip the Script. Have you heard of it? Flip the Script, I think they're, I think they're actually, like, sponsored by an organization, right? But their whole thing is interviewing women that are doing amazing things uh, in, 
I don't even want to say in San Diego, but I know that they've had uh, Norma Chavez from um, ACLU on there. Yeah. They had uh, Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher on yeah, there. She's on mine too. Yeah. Oh, was she really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, had I had her husband on mine. Oh, really? Yeah, Nathan Fletcher. I yeah. I interviewed him uh, during his campaign. Okay. Yeah, and I released it probably about two weeks before the election happened. But okay. yeah, we had a really dope interview. Um, I tried to get Norma on, but I, she was just too busy or whatever. But uh, there are just a lot of amazing women in San Diego. Um, so you have a lot of material to cover. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole thing. That's what I tell people when we talk and we're like, yeah, I'm going to get you on the podcast. I'm like, just be patient because I do have a whole list that I set out when I started this. Yeah. And I'm just going down that list and finding people in between, too. Yeah. Who are those people that are connecting me? You know, also, um, I started my podcast because I needed a platform where I could storytell. I was going through a lot emotionally and mentally, and I felt very alone, and I knew I wasn't, but I knew I needed to create something where I could learn from other women and learn that I was alone. So, of course, I started off with women. Now I am having um, men that are on the show and stuff, so I'm looking forward to getting some male perspectives on different things and different topics. Um,
is a completely different world than the Corday, right? Um, and so he had his own contacts that he brought in as far as interviews and such, and, and that's how we, we got it going. Um, me, I just started listening to podcasts. I was interested in the idea, and so I just bought the equipment and, and went for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I basically told my husband um, I want to do a podcast, and I think within two weeks, like, I had put something out there, and uh, to me, if it feels right and it feels good, I'm going to keep doing it. The mm. minute that it doesn't, you know, the minute I start feeling red flags go up and it's not meant for me, then fine, it's not meant for me. But yeah. I dove into this, and it's been, it's been nonstop since then. I never thought it was going to take me to where I'm at now. Okay. You know, okay. and I plan to do more with it. Do you have any goals with your podcast? Besides getting that content out? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, yeah, honestly, that is the main goal. Yeah. Um, ultimately, you know, I do want to grow the podcast and get more listenership out there. Um, eventually, I do want to monetize it. I think mm-hmm. that I think that the work that I put in um, deserves a little something back, but but I'm not there yet, you know. Um, yeah. So so those are my goals: uh, grow the brand, grow the listenership, eventually monetize. Um, but. I just want to get the word out there about about what what good teaching looks like and feels like for the student. Yeah. You know, it's all about the kids. It's all about it's all about transforming transforming education from what it was what it was a, its original intent, mm-hmm. which is kind of like just to build workers. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and make it something that is actually more meaningful for kids. Um, something that that resonates with their life and what they actually want to do. So, that's some broad ass shit I was just talking about there. That's yeah. real, it's real lofty, Hail, <laughs> Hail Mary kind of shit. That's how you make things happen though, right? You yeah. just put it out and then see what happens and where it takes you from there. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you have a lot of students that know that you're a podcaster or no? <laughs> you know, your high school students, they just have a way of going on the internet and finding you. And finding you, you but, but no, that is what but but no, I'd say like a solid ten of my listeners are current or former students, okay. and I have like four that follow the podcast like religiously. Like they'll they'll see the post and they'll be like, "Oh, I see you got some new merchandise. You better get me one of them hats. You better get me one of them shirts." And so I send the stuff uh, to the school with my wife and like, "Yeah, give so and so this this shirt." <laughs> so. Marcus Strother. He does amazing things for kids, particularly youth of color. 
and he has um, two organizations, the Men's Leadership Academy and the Women's Leadership Academy, and they do a student podcast called The Dream, right? And so, you know, Marcus reached out to me like a year ago and was like, hey, I'm thinking of starting a student-led podcast. Can we talk about, you know, equipment and just ideas and such? Yeah. And so uh, when he dropped, when those, when those students dropped their first episode, I was right there with them, uh, you know, put it out on social media and such. Uh, but yeah, there are, there are more adults that are helping youth find their own voice, and podcasting is one of the main ways they're doing it. And so I hope to grow that in our after-school programs. You know, they get enough money to start. It, it, it's, it's, it's relatively cheap to start a podcast. Yes. Relatively, yes. right? Right. I mean, it can be anywhere from like uh, 500 bucks to like, you know, thousands. But nonetheless, it, it would be super easy for me to start a podcast at each and every school site that has an after-school program. But that's not really the point. I want the youth to be able to find their own voice, right? Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. And, and with that, that, that's building confidence. That's building so many other skills for community leaders. Um, and it's nice to have somebody be able to deliver that to the next generation. Right? Because we want to teach the next generation what we know and then have them do have all this shit better yeah. than what we're doing. And they will. And they will, but we just got to give them the tools. Right? We just got to give them some, some, some kind of start. But yeah. Right. And the, the encouragement, too, you know, to be able to confidence. Give me confidence to do those things. Um, when I was younger, back in the day where we had like the... When you used to videotape and have like a video recorder, it was like a big ass thing that had like two other little things. I mean, I hired a little crew in my neighborhood to carry the shit because the shit was heavy yeah. <laughs> and it was huge. And I would go around interviewing um, when I was living in Del Sol and I'd go around interviewing um, all the neighbors and stuff, right? We had like a house full of bad kids and we used to vandalize our neighborhood. So I'd go around and be like, how do you feel? I saw that your car got hit with a rock. <laughs> like, how do you feel about that? What's going on? So, but that, you skinned your knee on that yeah. really bad bicycle fall. How do you we feel? the fall. Kids all soft. <laughs> I loved it, but the, there was no encouragement on me being able to do that as an adult and take it into a career. I mean, I used to tell my dad I wanted to be Barbara Walters. Like, I thought it was so amazing, like, the stuff that she would push the envelope on. And yeah. he told me, like, you know, you're not white. And my dream died. Oh. And they were like, okay, well, I guess I can't killing, do it. Thanks oh. for killing the dream, Pops. Oh, I bring it up all the time. And like now with the podcast, I was like, I could have been like, you don't know, I could have been the next probable to, but you told me I couldn't. So giving these kids platforms like that, it's just encouraging them to a world of where they can, they can do it all. They really can. They can make life you know, what they want it to be. And I don't think anybody sat there and told me that as a child or even as a teenager, especially as a teenager. Because by that time, like I said, I thought it was too cool for everything and I didn't listen to somebody anyways. You know, so um, I really give you a lot of credit for being in the school system and doing what you're doing and now the after school programs too. Do you guys um, collaborate with other people that are in the community and stuff to bring yeah, so that's a big part of what after school does or is supposed to do is that you're supposed to broker uh, community partnerships. Anybody that's in your community that can offer something to your students 
you're supposed to do your best to bring them to the campus. Um, so one of the most recent partnerships that I helped broker uh, is with an arts facility in National City called Arts, A Reason to Survive. And um, they took over they took over the old public library in National City right there at Kimball Park. Okay, yeah. And so they took over that whole that whole space and they have like any type of art medium that you can think of, they have it in there. Oh. I mean, they got a maker space, they got pottery, they got uh, music, um, of course painting, anything you want this facility has and it's 100% for the youth. Right, and so um, I just brokered, I just brokered a partnership with them to help four of our schools do art installations either on campus or in their community, right? And then there's just like this whole design thinking piece that goes with it, where the kids actually get to work through. Well, what's the actual like problem that you want to solve with art here, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Is it your school that's kind of ugly and you need to fix something on campus, or is there something in your community? And they have teaching artists that are amazing with kids, and, and right now Hilltop Middle School is finishing up um, their art installation that they're putting on, on their school campus. But but back to your original question, yes, we are supposed to reach out to folks in the community that can offer something to our students, and we're supposed to bring them in. Okay. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, that's part of, you know, again, educating the youth and stuff, too. It's so much more than, obviously, value education. But I think there there was a gap in between education, like books in college, and then also being educated through life experiences. You know, and I think that's something I learned way later in life. I think that's something that I've learned more when I got into my 30s. It was more like, oh, okay, I can actually take in all these things from the community and get educated through my life experiences. And I think there, there was a gap, you know, in that, and so when you guys are developing these things and having these after-school programs, that's amazing because, yes, again, it's connected to their education, like you were saying before, yeah. but also showing them that there's so much more outside of yeah. your school to get involved in and do and learn from it. Yeah, oh, definitely. Learn and then pass it forward. <laughs> learn and then take it back to your community. <laughs> Don't run away from the community. Bring it back. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Help everybody grow. Come back and build. Right, and so what we do often see with our after-school programs is that kids that were in the program come back to work for the program, right? And if, you, if you're if you're doing your job right, that happens. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, so one of our biggest programs is at Trilla Vista Middle School, that's ran by a coordinator by the name of Sandra Bishop, and. Like almost 100% of her people that work for her were one students that were in her program. And you know, she's got she's got a process and guidelines set down where the kids know that they can't come back and volunteer until they're juniors in high school. Okay. And they have to volunteer in order to actually come back and get, and get hired in the program once they graduate. And um, those students love what she offers them so much that she has no problems filling any vacant positions. That's so, really awesome. Yeah, no. That's like really awesome to see that like full circle too. You know, when income. Um, you know, I was just thinking right now. Um, didn't your mom just get an award for something? Wasn't she just recognized for something? I don't think.
go to Westy? What do you mean? I'm going to look on, on Facebook because I could have sworn recently that your mom, someone was posting something not too long yeah. ago. I don't know. <laughs> <You're both laughs> I can't keep up with everything she does. No, nah, for real. It, it kind of is like that because because she has received uh, quite a few awards for her activism or right. or just the work that she, she did in San Diego Unified. She's retired now, but yes, she's received so many. I, I ain't trying to, I ain't trying to big up and pump up my mom's, but it's true. <laughs> well, that's why, like, and that's why, no, taking it back to your mom. That's why I was thinking. I was like, I just recently saw her name pop up on something where she received award or something. All right, all right, I'll look it up as we continue to talk. <laughs> now I'm like, uh, You're like oh, shit. <laughs> I should know this, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know. You know, she's been retired for a few years, so she's really enjoying being retired. Yeah. Uh, her and the mayor do a lot of traveling and hanging out together. Yeah. Um, she's in Guadalajara right now, about to come home. Um, she just, yeah, I don't, I don't know if she got an award recently. I'm over here scrolling the timeline. <laughs> like, oh crap, what is everyone talking about right now? <laughs> to, and, I, and now knowing, too, um, her connection with Mary Sauce and stuff, too, um, now I'm definitely going to be looking out for your mom's name on her and stuff, too, so I can connect with her. Um, Mary Sauce is the first time I heard her spoke. I was graduating from a leadership program okay. um, through MANA and the Creative um, Center for Leadership. And um, when Mary Sauce spoke, it was really an eye-opener for me because she talked about how she started her life much later in life. Okay, yeah, yeah. started her activism and started her education and everything when she was in her mid-30s. Yeah. And I was about to turn 35 when I had met her, and I felt like she was speaking right to me, and it was so crazy to me. <laughs> so when I went up to her afterwards and asked her for a picture, she said, you know, when I felt like you were zoning into me and you were speaking to me, and she goes, go home and figure out why I did look at you. Mm -hmm. I mean, why did I look at you? And I was like, damn, this woman. <laughs> Really, really is. Yeah. And I want her opinion on why she 
I want to know too. I want to. I don't know why it took so long. What is, what is up, National City? Seriously, seriously. But that's something too that you know I don't consider myself to be so involved in politics, but I do pay attention to local politics, right? Um, because I figure big politics is just too much, too much of everything, and I feel like where I can make a difference in my community is learning about what's going on locally. So a couple of years ago, I sat at the National City City address, and I'm listening to the mayor then, and it was amazing to me because I was one of the youngest people that were there, and we had all these old white people there that were in their 60s and 70s and beyond, and I sat there in National City, and I, at the time I worked at a seminar, so I sat there and I was like, these people are going to die off, and then where's my people at? You know what you think, you think, but they have, but, not, but they have children and grandchildren, and you know what? Nobody wants to relinquish power, and nobody wants, nobody wants to see their community uh, change colors on them, right? So you have this old guard in National City, and you have the same thing going on in Chula Vista, where there's folks that just don't want to relinquish power to another, to another group, and, and, and so when you ask, like, how the fuck does National City keep electing Ron fucking Morrison. Well, well, that's how those people have always been there, and they and they come out to vote and they give money to their candidates. And they're sitting at the city address. There you go. And that, and that was my. That's when I looked at it and I was like, oh, I need to get more involved. Like, it, I need to at least get educated about what's going on because this is somewhere where my mom was raised and my great grandmother and my family was miles down the street from here.